Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Folks, in this episode, we continue our series on the six points of financial planning, which is where our name came from. And again, if you're unfamiliar with the origins of our name, it came from what we believe to be the six major points of financial planning. If those six points are covered, improved upon, and reviewed, our clients typically can see financial success. The six points are investment planning, risk management, retirement income planning, estate planning, tax planning, and then custom goal planning, which again is really our catch-all, Eric. It's kind of our way of saying, if we missed anything, there it is, right? Custom goal planning. So to help us dive into the second point of financial planning, risk management, we have Eric Evelyn with us. He's an insurance specialist. Eric, how are you today? We're doing pretty good, Dave. How you doing, man? All right. So just want to make sure you're still with me. Eric is an insurance specialist, mountaineer, triathlete, and ordained minister. What a combo. <laughs> Eric has been involved in the protection planning business for more than 12 years. He works to incorporate his vast knowledge, which we will test today, of advanced insurance concepts and business planning to find the best solutions to meet the needs of his advisor's clients. So that's key, Eric. Your clients are actually the advisors who then help the clients, which is a cool way to leverage what you do. So Eric's recommendations are driven by innovation, knowledge, and compassion. Outside of the office, this is what people care about, Eric. Eric is an athlete and thrill seeker, which isn't it unusual for an insurance guy to be the thrill seeker? That doesn't make much sense. But I am not your typical insurance guy, that's for sure. <laughs> He's an avid mountain climber, having already conquered the highest peaks in the Northeast. In 2021, Eric completed his first, but certainly not his last, triathlon. When he's not braving the Northeast harsh winter weather on a mountain, Eric is usually traveling with his fiance Hannah and enjoying all of the things that life has to offer. Eric, that's an awesome bio. I have two questions. I got what answers. Is- What is the highest peak in the Northeast? Highest peak in the Northeast is Mount Washington, right around 6,200 feet. It's a great mountain to climb. It is cold in the winter, and that's when I chose to do it. It was uh, about 20 degrees at the bottom, negative 40 at the top, and it takes about seven hours to climb straight from the bottom to the top, which is, you know, definitely a hell of an adventure. Yeah. So wait, how long does it take to get back down? Three hours. Because you got to imagine you're literally going straight up for the entire time. You pull off the road and the mountain starts. It's kind of nice. You don't have to really trek in anywhere. So you go right to the mountain, you hit right to the top. And then the way down is all just simple trekking down. Wow. All right. So my second question from your bio is, and I know this, but I want to remind everybody, what is a triathlon? Triathlon is going to be the three different sports. So the first one going to be swimming, second going to be biking, third one's going to be running. For my triathlon, I did what's called a, uh, an Olympic triathlon. So that's going to be a one-mile swim, 25-mile bike, and a six-mile run, which is, if you know what an Ironman is, it's one quarter of an Ironman. So you did the easy one, right? I, I, yeah, right no, there's actually a one-eighth. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm a step up above. <laughs> You're not at the bottom, right? I'm not at the bottom. Why? Why do that to yourself? Because I have a lot of listeners out there that are like, why do these people do extreme sports? Believe me, I understand. Mm-hmm. What, what drives you to do a triathlon? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. 
It's because uh, it's such a demanding sport. It's it's a lot of training, which is equivalent to pain, a lot of pain, mm-hmm. just constant running and swimming and biking and you know time at the gym and time away from your family and time away from your friends and work and the whole nine yards. And it's a very large commitment that you undertake. I'm not really sure why I decided to do it. I think it was more of a test for myself. Yep. Right. We, we all have to test ourselves in some way or some fashion throughout our lives. And it was something that I thought I'd try undertaking and uh, conquered. Yeah. And, and now you're going to do it again. At some and point. I'm going to do it again. Good for you. So it couldn't have, I guess it couldn't have been that bad. right? <laughs> no, no. It's a, you know, what's the thrill is the end. Right. Everything leading up to it is absolute misery. And honestly, if I could skip it all, it would be great. But, you know, all of that suffering and pain that you go through, the end result really is the the high of it all. It's really the motivator behind it is, is that finish line. Yeah, it sounds a lot like financial planning, right? <laughs> so yeah. Let's get into what we came here for. When we are meeting Eric with a client, you know this, or a potential client, our job as advisors is to recognize the need for different types of insurance or protection planning, right? So this could be life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, even homeowners, auto umbrella policies. But for today, we'll just stick to those first three, life, disability, long-term care. That's what Eric specializes in. But when we see that somebody needs that, we're not the people running the quotes. We're not the people making up the costs, the prices, whatever that is. We then, as advisors, go to people like Eric to help us with that. Because we say, hey, Eric, I have a client that's this age. They need this much insurance based on our financial plan. What do you think about this? And that's where Eric comes in. So he takes a deep dive and a close look into what we're talking about doing and makes his own recommendations, which is what I love about Eric. And if we all like the recommendations, we as advisors then take those recommendations to the client and implement if everybody agrees. But Eric, let's talk about the stages of insurance planning. So From a young age, I'd rather do it this way, I think, from a young age through the older ages, how do you think about protection planning, doing what you do? Yeah. You know, at each stage of our lives, we're going to have different solutions that are really going to make sense for you, right? So a need that a young person, maybe the age of 30, who is just starting out, getting married, having kids, they're going to have a very specific need, right? Whereas if we fast forward to when you're maybe in your early retirement or mid-retirement ages, that need is definitely going to be wildly different. You're not going to have those young children to protect. You're not going to really have your younger wife who doesn't really have the assets around. Now, at that point, you're going to be a little bit focused more towards retirement planning, legacy planning, et cetera. And that's something we can dive into more specifically when we talk about the different product solutions that are out there and really what I'm seeing as trends in the marketplace. Yeah. So what trends are you seeing? Let's start with like a young... I meet with somebody who is a 23-year-old. They just got their first job. I'm making this up. They're making $60,000 a year and they have some student loan debt. What are we talking about? Yeah. So this is a, this is actually kind of a perfect scenario of a younger person. You know, 
I wish that we saw more people that were 23. They tend to be probably 30 or 35 years old when we start talking about the true planning aspect of it. But you know, it is kind of a common scenario, right? You do have a person that is young. They do tend to have school debt, right? Especially a lot of your professionals that you're working with that are out there. Uh, they've gone to school, whether it's you know just your state school or some high, higher education like Ivy League or type school. And they have a tremendous amount of debt that they're carrying along with them. And oftentimes is the first reason why they actually look at life insurance to begin with. You know, uh, I remember when I was uh, 20 years old, 21 years old, and I had racked up a bunch of debt. And my mom is signing on that that dotted line every single year and watching those numbers grow and grow. And, you know, we finally hit that six digit mark and she's just overly thrilled with those numbers. And the first thing she did say to me was, you're getting yourself life insurance. And this is far before I was even in the life insurance industry. And and the simple reason was that she was on the hook for all those payments, right? So you have $100,000 in school debt and somebody has to pay those back. Unfortunately, because my mom had co-signed for them, she would be that said individual. So I actually got my first life insurance policy and underwritten for my life first life insurance policy when I was about 21 years old. I've got a $100,000, 20-year term. It costs next to nothing, but the idea there was to protect that. You know, another aspect that we often talk about, you know, when we're talking about young professionals is covering disability, right? The chances of a young person passing away is pretty unlikely, it's not often that you're going to see young people passing away for any given reason, more specifically towards health. Maybe if we looked at accidents, that probably happens more often than not. Reckless driving, you know, being crazy, like running triathlons and climbing mountains in the middle of winter probably doesn't help either. <laughs> so, you know, when we look at those folks, younger people who are professionals, one of the things that can happen is they can become disabled. And so oftentimes we also want to talk a little bit about income protection, right? If you were to become disabled, how do we continue part of your income or as much of your income as possible to still continue paying into the household to help keep the roof over your head, right? To keep food in your mouths, clothes on your kids' back, keeping the lights on, the TV paid, et cetera. So disability insurance is also, you know, a big portion of what we're talking about for young professionals, especially when we're looking at true professionals like attorneys or doctors. These folks go to college for years and they have sacrificed a long portion of their lives to learn their profession. And what we want to do is we want to actually protect that occupation very specifically. So oftentimes for those, what we would consider white collar professions, protecting their income is uh, to them very, very highly important. And they tend to be those people with a much higher student load debt as well. True. True. We run into that all the time. So if I'm a listener and I'm listening to this, and that's what I try to do on this here because I'm pretending I'm a listener. What questions would I want to ask you? So I'm, I'm, I'll go to the 25-year-old. I'm a 25-year-old. Okay, I need to get some life insurance. You said it, that it was like extremely inexpensive. People have no idea. So they just see commercials on TV. Some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are ridiculously expensive. Some are ridiculously and probably not fairly cheap that they see on TV for other age groups. But 25-year-old, $250,000 to $500,000 term 20 policy. Like, and I get this question all the time. Dave, how, mu how much do you think that'll cost? What do you think it is? You know, 
just so the listeners know, we have no idea because we don't know what your health conditions are, underlying health conditions, all of the other stuff. So I'm assuming, Eric, a healthy 25-year-old, let's do a female making $60,000 a year. How much is a life insurance monthly payment on average? We'll call it for $250,000 to cover some student loans. Yeah. You're talking about literally pennies uh, a day. So if we take a look at it, maybe a 25-year-old female, $250,000 of coverage, I couldn't imagine it being more than eight bucks a month, $9 a month. I mean, it's wildly affordable. Now, of course, that assumes that the people are healthy and it's not going to be much different for the male counterpart either. You know, when it comes to life insurance, the cost for males and females is relatively close. Uh, you know, when we start getting at much larger face amounts, naturally that spread is going to break apart. The costs for females is significantly less than what the male counterpart is uh, yeah. when you start getting in those larger face amounts. And that just tends to be because, well, men are trouble right? And females tend to be a little bit more conservative in their approach, you know? So when was the last time that you saw a young 20-year-old girl hop into a Mustang ripping 95 miles an hour down a highway, right? You don't see that often, but you'll see a young punk guy doing that without a doubt. And so therefore, those that risk of a male potential death in the future is, is higher than that what of a female is. So therefore, that's why you'll see the male rates a little bit higher. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is, again, I hear it all the time. Also, people are just curious because they have no idea. They hear 250000 or I'll sit with somebody and I'll say, listen, our recommendation is you need $1.2 of insurance. And the first, the very first thing, and I know this, that I would think is, wow, okay, you've proven that I do need that. And I do. And that's part of the plan. And I trust you, Dave. But my very first thought is that has to be like thousands of dollars every single month. And that's typically just not true. So, so the listeners know. So 25-year-old, you have eight. <laughs> let's double it. Let's say it's $15 a month for life insurance. Let's do the same thing for disability. $60,000, female, disability insurance. And actually, if you could get a little bit more into how disability actually works. And let's pretend because we have a lot of healthcare professionals out there that this might be a nurse at a local okay. hospital. Yeah. In disability insurance, there's a couple of different factors that are going to fall into here. First is going to be, of course, like we discussed, sex, right? So you got your male, you got your females. Now in the disability world, it's actually a flip-flop, right? Where males are more expensive with life insurance, females are actually more expensive with disability insurance, right? And statistically, it shows that Females are more apt to become disabled at some point in their lifestyle in their lifetime. So therefore, the costs of their coverage tend to be roughly 25 to 30 percent more expensive than their male counterparts. So it is a, a pretty big difference between those two. The other big factor in that is really going to be driven by your occupation. As you can imagine, think about somebody who is, has a potential for becoming disabled, right? So let's just picture again that 25-year-old. Well, if you have somebody who's sitting behind a desk all day long, right, typing on their computer and their, you know, their interactions with people are relatively limited, they tend to not really have that potential or a higher potential, should we say, for becoming disabled in the future. Whereas if we look at the other end of the spectrum, let's think about a roofer, for example, right? He's or she is much more apt to fall off a roof, 
get injured and potentially have a claim for disability insurance. So the insurance carrier is going to look at a spectrum and they actually classify it through numbers. It's going to be a one being your lowest occupation class, that being like your roofers, all the way up to typically a six is the spectrum. And a six being your attorneys, your a lot of your physicians, um, in the middle of the road, if you're working with a lot of healthcare workers and you're talking to healthcare workers, that's probably going to be right around a three. And so they're right in the middle of the road. Nurses, they do, they bust their butt out there. There's a lot of physical activity that's involved with them. And therefore, you know, if they were to hurt their back or they had some inability to be able to lift patients or move them around or just do, you know, things with their hands, they have that higher probability of becoming disabled at some point in the future, just because of all the activities that they do on a daily basis. So therefore they would fall right around maybe a, a three. Now, if we're looking at costs, costs a little bit more than life insurance, right? Statistics show that one in four 20-year-olds or above will become disabled at some point in their life. So when we take a look at that and there's a higher probability of claims in the future, naturally, the carrier is going to make that product a little more, more pricey. So if we look at it, if we were to say a 25-year-old, and let's just say something like $2,500 per month of benefit, which is about average, right? And that takes care of some of the big stuff. It'll take care of a big chunk of your mortgage. Again, keeping the lights on, uh, keeping food in the house, and so on and so forth. So we'd probably be looking for a male, maybe right around 30 bucks a month, 35 bucks a month. Um, for a female, maybe closer to 50, maybe just slightly more than that. Again, very affordable. We're, and we're not looking at a tremendous amount of coverage. Oftentimes, and just to kind of talk about this, right? A lot of people do talk about disability insurance. There's our advisors that are out there that, that love to chat about disability insurance. And oftentimes, they want to show you the Cadillac plan. Hey, we, you're eligible for $10,000 per month, and we can get you a benefit until you're age 65 years old. And, you know, your premiums will be, you know, $250 per month. Yeah, absolutely. If you build the plan very, very robust, naturally, as you can expect, the premiums are going to be substantially higher. What I try to do is I try to focus a little bit more on the need, right? Do you need $10,000 per month? I want $10,000 per month. Everybody wants $10,000 per month. But is that practical? Does it make sense for your specific situation? And a lot of times the answer is typically no. So what I try to do is I try to bring people back a little bit and help them focus more on, well, what is it that you bring to the table? What is it that you're paying for in the household? Because let's face it, we're, we, we usually have two people that we're worried about. We got the husband, we got the wife or husband, husband, wife, wife, however that might look. Right. So we have two people and each of them are contributing to some degree to that household. So if, e if each of them are equally contributing to the household, why should one have to pay or expect to pay all of the household expenses? They really shouldn't. Right. What we'd want to take a look at is, OK, well, if the monthly expenses are five thousand or six thousand dollars per month and we're equal partners in our relationship and we're both contributing 50 50. Well, then how about if I only pay $2,500 because that's my 50% portion of it? So really bringing that down to what your actual expenses are, I think is important. 
Now, we can argue a little bit more about adding some additional funding to that. So if it is a 50-50 split at 2,500, maybe we'd want to opt in for 3,000 or 3,500. And the reason is, if you're disabled, chances are is that you're probably going to the doctor quite often. We all know what healthcare is. Healthcare is not inexpensive by any means. So having that additional cash flow coming through to help pay for some of your deductibles that you have with the expenses for your whatever medical issue that you're facing can often be extremely helpful. So I have two parts that I want to talk about there. First is, so the bottom line on this is a 25-year-old, again, this is just an example, could get life insurance and disability insurance if it is needed and it's gone through with the planner and we're working together for 60 to $65 a month. That is, Easy. I think part of the problem is, Eric, and you said it there, they, a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth because someone has showed them some quote for 500 or $600 a month. And they're like, I'm just trying to make my student loan payments. What are we talking about? So 50 or $60 a month. On the other side of it, we have the $10,000 a month people and there are certainly people that need that, as you know. But I think one thing that you mentioned, and we went quickly over this, is that it's completely customized per person. So when I'm asking Eric these questions, just to be fair to Eric, I'm asking them, and he's giving kind of blanket advice, which is the opposite of real financial planning, right? So each time we meet with somebody, we say, this is the situation. Let's get a quote. I'm asking Eric questions that I know are hard to answer, but this is because I get them, Eric. I want to hear how you would answer it. Dave, how much yeah. is that? I don't know. I don't know what you need. My favorite, by the way, I just had this happen. My friend just got insurance. His is only $26 a month. That's all, That's it. We stopped there. I'm like, okay, so tell me more about that. What type of policy? And just for the listeners, what type of policy? What's the term on that policy? How long does it last? What's the health rating? What's the death benefit? What company is it through? What's the rating of that company? There are so many things when you hear your friend say that I got insurance for this much that you should ignore. I don't even know where to begin, which we won't even get into in this, this episode, Eric, maybe, maybe <laughs> a different one. Um, but let's fast forward now. 25 year old. I mean, that, that's an easy situation. Typically, typically, obviously not always they're single at this point, if they're looking for disability. Um, actually, one thing I want to talk about before we go into that. Another thing that I hear quite often is, oh, I have disability insurance through work or my employer covers that. Would you still talk to those folks about disability insurance? Yeah, absolutely. Work coverage is absolutely great. It really can be a really solid asset for you, especially when we take a look in two different factors. One being, is your employer paying for it? And if they are, that's tremendous. That's a really, really solid benefit that your employer cares about you, cares about your well-being, more importantly, your family's well-being. Taking advantage of work disability insurance, I think, is important. The one thing that we do want to be aware of is what we call the definition of disability. So this is probably one of the biggest misnomers in the disability insurance world that a lot of people don't really understand. And what, what I mean by definition of disability is that the carrier is going to take a look at your situation and they're going to say, is this person disabled according to how we would define disability? So there are... I would say three primary categories when it comes to how disabled are you. 
A lot of group benefit plans, group benefit disability plans that you may see out there have what's called a modified modified own occupation definition of disability. And what that really just basically means is that if you're unable to perform the duties of your job. So let's let's call out an occupation here and let's just call it a nurse. You said you that you that we have some healthcare folks that are listening to this podcast. So let's go ahead and picture a nurse. And that nurse is no longer able to do the daily duties of helping out with the patients that are inside of a hospital setting. Well, the modified own occupation may say, okay, well, for one year, if you're not able to be a nurse, and that's specifically you know, moving patients around and helping to do the day-to-day activities that a nurse typically takes care of, if you're not able to do that, then we're going to pay out this disability benefit every single month for you for a minimum of one year. Then after that one year is over, the definition slightly changes. And they'll go into what's called in any occupation definition of disability. And within an any occupation definition, they're basically looking for you to go out and do a duty that you're trained for. Now, it may not necessarily be what you were doing prior to your disability, but it's something that maybe you are trained for or that you're educated for. And they're going to expect you to do that. So in the uh, name of a nurse, let's say, for example, you may not be able to do the duties of a nurse, but you are able to run clinicals. Or maybe you're able to go into the education setting and teach nursing, or you're able to run the nurse's station. And that's something that's a little bit uh, maybe less physical of a job. And they're going to expect you to do that. Now, what we want to do and what the real goal behind disability insurance is protecting your actual occupation. I don't want to go from, if I was a nurse, go from being a nurse and then getting some disability benefits and then being forced into a whole different career path just because I can't be a nurse at this point in time. A quick interruption. Six Point Financial Partners is taking on new clients. If you would like to take the next step in planning your future with Dave or the Six Point team, please visit them at www.sixpointfp.com to schedule a time or reach out via LinkedIn, Facebook, or simply find us on the internet by searching Six Point Financial Partners. Okay, back to the show. So oftentimes when somebody like you and I, Dave, would be looking at a group benefits disability policy, that's going to be one of the first things that we're going to look at is does this definition of disability match well for the occupation of the person that we're talking to? Now, I mean, we could go on and on with different examples, but that's one of the first ones. The second one we're going to look at is, well, what's your benefit? right? Me having disability benefits through work doesn't really mean a whole lot if I'm only getting three or $400 per month. Right. Uh, I mean, three or four hundred dollars is literally a drop in the bucket. That's your cell phone bill a month. So what do we have to do to maybe add on to that? And the final piece to that is going to be, well, we just talked about is your employer paying for it or are you paying for it? If your employer is, in fact, paying for that coverage for you, that means that the benefit when it does pay out when you become disabled 
is going to be fully taxable. So if you're eligible to get, let's say, $1,000 per month, just for easy math, and let's assume that you're in a a 25% tax bracket, you're really only bringing home $750 per month. So the question is, is even though it says I'm making $1,000 and you're only taking home $750, is the $750 adequate enough for you? And oftentimes the, the... Answer is typically no. And then what we do is is you and I, Dave, would be able to talk a little bit about, okay, well, then what can we do to help make them whole? What do we have to do? So typically we'll add a little bit of coverage in addition to what they have at their at their work to make sure that their whole financial situation is protected. It's never easy, man. This is a because we get that all the time. Yeah, I'm all set. I have it at work. Well, it's it's not usually what you think it is. And, and we didn't even get into the getting a new job at a new employer or changing careers or any of that stuff. Once you leave, that benefit is obviously gone. A private policy will go with you, right? Mm-hmm. So for the sake of time, Eric, I, I want to get into quickly just young family protection, generalities, and maybe some stories. And I mean, you and I both have, I, I know this, we have not talked about this for the listeners out there. Like we, I yep. know that we could each have several stories on in bad stories on, I wish that we did this for somebody. Mm-hmm. And then I want to get to the end quickly and just go over some long-term care planning, because I, I also have a lot of listeners that they're asking a lot of questions about long-term care as it becomes more and more popular. And, and the baby boomers are getting closer to that age where they need it. And typically, you know, this, it is because they say, I watched my mom go through it, or I watched my aunt and uncle go through it, or I watched somebody go through it. That prompts them to say, now I need to look into long-term care. It should also come from the financial advisor, by the way, but sometimes it's hard for us to bring it up without sounding like we're honestly trying to sell something. And it's, we put it out there, we show the people and we'll say, hey, think about needing this. And until something happens that they see and it directly affects them, that's when they get serious about it. So um, let's talk about like a 35 to 40 year old family, couple of children, same thing. I mean, typically what we're doing for most folks, and I'm not against permanent insurance, but most folks at this point, we're still looking into term policies that we can potentially convert to permanent policies later for different estate planning, which I don't even know if we have time to get into right now, but let's do like a 35 to 40 year old family and what you're typically seeing for those folks. Yeah. So when it comes to the young families, you're exactly right. When we look at the spectrum of different life insurance products that are available, there really is just primarily two types of insurance, right? We have term insurance, uh, term insurance being for temporary needs. That's going to provide us the highest leverage for the littlest amount of money. That's how we can get something as simple as you know $15 per month and you get $250,000 worth of coverage. That's some tremendous leverage that your premium dollars are doing for you. So when we look at young families, oftentimes we need a whole lot of insurance. And the reason is, is simply because we have to take a look at what happens when you pass away. And that's the real question that that we always pose to the clients. Well, what happens? What's the first thing that happens? Well, that is that your income stops, right? But your family keeps living on. So what financial impact does that mean for your family if your income is no longer there? Can they still afford the mortgage, right? Is the one of the biggest ones. Can they afford all the different insurances that are out there? Can they afford to keep you know, the taxes paid is another big one. Think about the taxes that you pay on your home every single year. 
And if the answer is no, and they don't, and you don't leave anything behind for them to help substitute your loss of income, there could be some serious financial consequences that they face. Inevitably having to leave the house. Okay, I have to downsize my house because I can't afford to stay here, right? Number two is not only did they lose their, their father or their husband or their wife or whomever it might be, but now they're losing their family home. They're having to potentially move to a different part of town, which means that the kids could ultimately have to move different schools. I mean, there's such a massive impact outside of just the stressors of the death and of itself that families are going to be hit by. So life insurance is going to help alleviate some of that pain, alleviate some of the potential consequences that a lot of families will face without adequate resources to fall back on. So term insurance tends to be that go-to. Now, a lot of people will say, you know, well, I really don't need life insurance because, well, I'm pretty safe. Well, I get that, right? And I actually hear this quite often. I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything dangerous on a day-to-day basis. I drive well, you know, I, I wear my safety belt. When we take a look at claims for life insurance, very rarely are they from accidents. Of course, accidents do happen. We had a claim pass payout last year just simply from a snowmobiling accident, right? Every single year you hear something about one of those. But it's other things that really are the big ones, things like heart attacks, strokes cancers, complications from diabetes. And more recently, let's face it, COVID has been an issue, right? So these are all things that aren't really planned. And it doesn't matter how much you try to prevent these issues from happening. They're potentially going to be a threat for you, no matter what happens, no matter how many times you put on your safety belt. So again, to go back to it, younger people, when we're talking about that, term insurance tends to be that go-to. In the disability world, it, it is just what it is, right? Yep. Disability yep. Is, is what that is. It's just one product. And naturally, we can look at either group benefits, stuff through your employer. You can get an individual plan. Or of course, we can always commingle the two and get a little bit of each to make sure that you know the, the protection is full. And again, with the disability, you know, oftentimes people find disabilities to be synonymous with accidents. That also is not the fact, right? Uh, A majority of claims in the disability space actually stem from musculoskeletal disorders and connective tissue disorders. That's things like tendonitis, carpal tunnel, degenerative disc disease, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, right? And then it'll span down. And really, when you do the statistics four or five years ago, principal had done a study and found that only about 8% of their overall claims actually came from accidents or injuries. So, you know, when we take a look at either one of these products for a young couple, we do have to be aware of all the different spectrum of threats that are out there and the reason of why we talk about protection planning to get to begin with. Yeah. One thing for us on, on my side of it is with the young families, we're not, many times people look at it as just if someone passes away, we need to pay off the debts. They are again missing that income piece of it, right? So we typically say, what lump sum of money do we need an in insurance to pay out to generate that type of income for you? So I'm making this up, 5% on $1 million is $50,000 a year, right? So if you need mm-hmm. 50,000 a year, we need to make sure we have at least 1 million in an income generating asset. And then in addition to that, then some extra money to pay off the debts and I thought where you were going, the first thing that people think of is the funeral cost, right? Like, where are they getting that from? Do we have an emergency fund? 
just because you just said it, how long does it typically take when someone passes away? How soon do they get a check? How soon does the beneficiary get a check for that amount? It can vary. I would say somewhere anywhere between uh, a month and three. And, and it depends on what was the circumstance around the death too, you know, and that's the same with disability. So oftentimes it's not an immediate turnaround, but it, it, it can be. Yeah. And, and we see, I've seen it very fast before in cases of like an emergency, you can actually sometimes really get after the company. And I mean, a couple of weeks later, have a check. I've yes. also seen it take months. And also you're not wrong. What if there's a suspicious death? Or something like that, right? They, seriously, that, that can take a while to pay out. So let's fast forward to the older ages. When I say older ages, I mean retirement age. I mean not 25 and 35 here, Dave. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I just have older on my notes. That's all I wrote. So retirement <laughs> ages, right? So let's, for somebody who's headed in toward retirement, what type of insurances are we looking for? And this is probably where we'll introduce long-term care insurance, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely it is. So primarily in in the retirement stages, we're going to be looking at life insurance still again, right? Life insurance is still potentially going to be a staple for that individual. And when we're talking about, you know, the retirement ages, we're really looking at spectrums anywhere from maybe as early as 50, all the way out to maybe as late as 70. Now there are solutions that are out there naturally that are for ages a little bit older than 70, but 70, 10, 50 to 70 tends to be the sweet spot for when we're actually doing some substantial planning for, for an individual. On the life insurance spectrum, now we're going to shift away from, again, remember I had mentioned that family protection. Typically, the kids are, are growing up and they're out of the house. They're even potentially married at that point in time. They're self-sufficient. They don't rely on you to help pay the bills. Also, at that point in time, if you're working with a really great advisor like Dave and you guys got your stuff in order, the idea is that by the time you reach that 50 to 70 years old, you've saved adequately in your life and you have plenty of resources and assets that you've accumulated over that time where the large amounts of life insurance to help protect maybe your spouse at that point in time, it's really not necessary. Right. So the idea would be, oh, well, you know, I'm 65 years old. I've saved a million dollars. If I pass away tomorrow, my spouse is going to be perfectly fine. She's got or he's got adequate resources to live throughout retirement. And that's really the idea. Where life insurance kind of steps back in is going to be actually in a couple of different areas. Most commonly is going to be social security replacement. Right. So if one of the spouses were to pass away, we are going to lose a social security stream of income. So therefore, we can use life insurance to protect that. Um, we are also going to be talking maybe about protecting pensions. So do they have a spousal payout or do they not? Right. So oftentimes we'll incorporate life insurance to help overcome the loss of a pension as well. When we start gravitating now, we're going to start talking maybe a little bit more about permanent side, but those first two examples were more of a maybe term insurance scenario, right? And so term is still going to be relevant for those early retirement ages. When we start looking at different aspects, number one, leaving legacy behind for your heirs, 
I want to leave something to my children that's meaningful. I want to leave $100,000 per kid, or I'd like to leave some death benefit for my grandkids so they can go to a good college and not have to rack up a bunch of debt like my kids or I had to, right? In those situations, we're going to start incorporating some permanent life insurance. And that's oftentimes where that strategy is going to start making a lot of sense. Another one is going to be, and this is going to be more geared towards the wealthy list, the wealthy listeners here, but paying for estate taxes, permanent insurance policies are a really great solution to help pay for uh, predicted estate taxes at some point in the future. And oftentimes we're going to use strategies like an irrevocable life insurance trust, where we're going to fund that policy with a, a permanent life insurance policy. And that way that the money is going to transfer outside of your estate and overall reduce your taxable consequences. And then we can use those funds to help pay for maybe any estate taxes that are there or just simply transition some assets outside of your estate. That's a little bit more on the advanced planning side of it, but that is an area that I do support and that you and I could work together on for any of your listeners. Yep. Eric, um, I, I say to a lot of people, uh, you don't need to know this stuff. You just need to know that we know, and that is on the radar. And when I can't tell people that enough, especially again, if the state laws change, right? State tax laws change from I, I'm making this up 22 million and it goes to 2 million. Now, anything over 2 million, I'm making this up completely taxed at 50%. You have $10 million. Now you have a 50% tax bill on 8 million bucks and you don't want to pay the government. Some people don't care, by the way, they'll say, you know, my kids are getting enough. Mm -hmm. Other people will say, I don't want a dollar to go to the United States government from my estate. I worked hard for that. And they'll buy a four or $5 million permanent life insurance policy so that when they pass away, it pays that estate tax bill. So Absolutely. again, they don't need to know it. They need to know that we know and where to yeah. find it, right? So I mean, all together, I mean, life insurance is just a really great vehicle to help your money work smarter, not harder for you. And that's oftentimes why advisors like yourself are incorporating this into a financial plan for your client. Again, we can get some predictive amounts in the future. We know for a fact that X amount of dollars is going to pay out at that death so that we know for a fact it's going to be there. It creates a peace of mind. It makes things a little bit simpler when we're doing some planning. To jump outside of that, the second portion of that uh, for protection planning for people in the retirement ages is going to be long-term care. It's hands down one of the biggest conversations we're having. Yeah. You know, I mean, 10,000 people are turning age 65 every single day. And statistics show that, you know, roughly about one in four people are going to require some form of care in the future. Now, one of the things that oftentimes kickstarts a lot of these conversations is, well, it's going to be twofold. Number one is, what has your experience been? A lot of the people that we work with on any day, they have a mother, a brother, a family member, a friend that has gone into a long-term care need scenario. And it's not usually pretty. The experiences when I ask them, hey, how was the experience? You know, you had mentioned that you knew somebody who had gone through a care scenario. What was it like? Do you remember it? Can you recall that? And oftentimes it's not a pretty scenario. People aren't prepared for that cost that's associated with care. Or more importantly, the family's not prepared for what to do next in case mom or dad were to need some form of care in the future. 
The one thing, if anything that we talk about on this podcast today is having a conversation with your family is of the utmost importance when it comes to potential long-term care needs. doesn't matter if you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old, communicating what your desire or what your ideal scenario for what care looks like for yourself in the future is going to be key. Far too often what happens is the family's blindsided. Wow, dad had a stroke. Now he needs full-time care. Who's going to help? Well, statistics show that the oldest female in the, in the family is probably going to help. And that's not always mom. Because mom is probably elderly as well. She's probably in her 70s, uh, 80s, wherever she may fall. So she's not able to fully take care of her husband at that time. Picking him up, moving him around, helping him with the day-to-day tasks that can be troublesome. So oftentimes it's going to be the eldest daughter that's going to be taking time away from her family, from her job, which ultimately can affect her income, her vacation time, her sick time. And not only is she taking time away from all these other avenues, but even worse is that she is typically suffering from some form of depression because of the impact of the scenario, because there's so much burden that's fallen on her. And when I say her, it doesn't mean that she's the only child. A lot of the times there's multiple children that are in the family, but only the one person is really providing a majority of the care. And I will tell you from personal experience that does drive a huge wedge in the family dynamic, right? It can make for some very, very complicated scenarios to happen and families to really fall apart. Families that were otherwise very close and tight and loving and caring to melt. And it's a very sad thing to see, but it's very relevant and it's very prevalent throughout a long-term care scenario. So having that conversation is very, very important. So the conversation first and then insurance, if it makes sense, second, right? right? And and insurance can make sense. Now, when we look at long-term care scenarios, oftentimes it is synonymous with us talking about a long-term care product, but it's not just that, right? So there's a few different ways that we can provide care for a person, right? So number one is, well, we can just pay for it ourselves. Again, you're working with Dave, you're probably going to be pretty successful long-term and chances are is that you're going to have adequate resources to potentially draw down from and pay for care yourself. Now, is that the best way to go about it? Maybe, maybe for your scenario, it makes sense. The question you have to ask yourself is, when are you going on claim? Because I tell you what, if it's in 2008 and the stock market drops 30 or 40% and your assets follow along with that, what's going to happen is, is now you're going to be hit with a nursing home bill of 150000 of 200000 possibly more. We don't even know where costs could potentially go in the future. So what does that look like for your portfolio if you're selling tremendous amounts into your losses like that? That's going to further compound the issue and potentially put your healthy spouse's lifestyle at risk. So oftentimes paying for costs of of care in the future solely out of your money is not typically advised unless you do have adequate resources to do so. 
Second one is going to be getting uh, care from your family. Like I had mentioned before, you know, incorporating your kids, incorporating your friends to help out with the day-to-day activities. Most commonly, each spouse is going to help each other out, right? For example, you know, Dave, if you were to become, uh, you need care tomorrow and you're 80 years old, your wife's probably going to step up to the plate and take care of as much as she humanly possibly can. And that's going to be the same with you, right? If your wife falls ill, you're going to be there to help her every step of the way. Once that care need becomes so sophisticated that you're no longer capable of doing it, that's naturally when we're going to have to start progressing into incorporating that the other people, you know, the younger folks that can help out, or more importantly, the professional care. Whether it's bringing a nursing service or a homemaker service into the home, all the way to the other end of the spectrum of somebody going into the nursing home, it's expensive. It just literally is expensive. Yeah. When we take a look, and I think this is, and this was kind of my second point of where the biggest influencer is for this is the cost of care right now. If you just got, let's say a homemaker service, so that's going to be somebody who's going to come in, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week to help out with the daily tasks, moving around, dressing, maybe some, some bathing, helping you with cooking, so on and so forth. That service is about $60,000 per year. If we look on the higher end of the spectrum, right, you need that full-time, sophisticated level of care where you're now inside of a nursing facility. Well, depending on where you are, the costs can be high or really high. So here in New York, for example, currently the cost of a nursing home for a year is about $150,000 in New York. Projections show that the cost of care increases by about 3% every single year. So that means that you folks out there that are maybe 60 years old right now, chances are you're not going on claim for another 20 years. And if we fast forward 20 years at a 3% inflation, that $150,000 cost is going to be pretty close to $300,000. So what you can ask yourself is, if I had to fork over $300,000 every single year, how is that going to impact my overall portfolio? Probably pretty significantly, right? So the idea is to have that conversation with you, Dave, to make sure that whatever plan it is that we put into place, whether it's a product, whether it's them paying for it themselves or incorporating their family and friends, it's for them to truly understand what that potential outcome is going to be, no matter how you do it. I know that you do talk to a, a number of folks down in Florida, so let's not forget you guys. You Sunny State Homemaker Service is still roughly about that $50,000 per year. That's very similar. But your nursing home costs are actually substantially lower than what they are here in New York. Again, New York being roughly $150 a year. The average nursing home down in the Florida area, so again, this is just a generalization of Florida, um, is about $110,000. So we are a little bit on the lower end of the spectrum, but nationally, again, that cost of care is going to be increasing by that 3% regardless. Yes, which jumps quickly. So folks, I was going to ask Eric a bunch about more costs about long-term care. Again, this is one of those things. If we need it, that's when we will get into quotes. And there are so many variables. When people ask me, Eric, how much does long-term care cost? I have absolutely no idea. That's even more confusing than life insurance because it's based typically, you can partner spouses together, you can do different things. There's group discounts with different states and different areas and depending on where you live and what you have. So what I would say is if you have an advisor that you're working with, and this makes sense to go through, I would go through and at least get the quote. 
and see if it makes sense for you. And then at least then you have a fair comparison to say, do I want to use my own money or do I spend this much on premium just in case this happens? And that's what it is. It's insurance. That's what it's for. So at every stage of our life, Eric, I'm going to let you go in a second here. Every stage of our life, there is some need for some type of insurance. And again, that's why it's such a big piece of the six points of financial planning. Point number two is risk management. And we just went over long-term care, disability, life insurance in, in some detail. But when you're sitting with an advisor, we can get into even more detail to tell you exactly what you need. And then we get the help of people like Eric, which I wanted to bring him on today to talk about his expertise. And Eric, I think you proved you know what you're doing. I know you're a busy man. (laughs) Um, I appreciate your time, sir. Where can our listeners find you? So uh, I'm actually, I'm located up in in New York. I'm with a company called CAFL Insurance Resources. CAFL is spelled K as in Kelly, A as in Apple, F as in Frank, L as in Larry. Uh, It's the acronym for Keep a Focus on Life because that's what we do over here. We've got to make sure that we're helping our advisors take care of the financial lives of their clients. Are you on any social media? I am. So you can find me on primarily on LinkedIn. Eric Eveland is my name, again, with CAFL. And of course, if you'd like to check out some of my adventures, you can always find me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, again, just simply at Eric Eveland. That's great, Eric. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Make it a great day and we'll catch up soon, okay? Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.